0: Today's program was brought to you by VisitNapaValley.com, the official page for travel to the Napa Valley, America's legendary wine, food, arts, and wellness capital. For more information, visit www.VisitNapaValley.com. Hey, 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 I'm Jimmy Carboni from Beer Sessions Radio. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more.
1: Good afternoon. It's Monday. It's one o'clock. I'm in Bushwick, Brooklyn, in a shipping container, and that means this is the live broadcast of Tech Bites on theheritageradionetwork.org. On Tech Bites, we talk about the intersection of food and technology and how things like Instagram and Twitter and the Internet are affecting our culinary lives. If you like this show, we have thousands and thousands of more shows like it on the Heritage Radio Network, Come and stop by, give them a listen, and if you really love them, think about becoming a member, donating some money, and getting a tote bag. The first thing I like to do on every show is introduce everyone who's in the studio so you can match the names to the voices, and the most important person is actually Jack Inslee, who is our producer and engineer who turns my conversation in a shipping container into a live broadcast and a podcast. Hey, hey Jack. How's it going? It's going well. It's nice. It's sunny. <laughs>
0: Yeah, totally. I still keep the heat on in here, though.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and our in-studio guest today is Amanda Hesser from Food52, who is been living a long time on the food tech scene and is also a new radio person.
2: <laughs> Hi. Thank you so much for
1: having me. It's, it's, we're happy to have you come out to Bushwick, and we're always appreciative of people who make the journey. So one of the first things we do on Tech Bites, we start off, the show like a great meal with an appetizer, and we talk about the apps that we like and that we're using, and we've discovered. So everybody has a couple minutes to think of something. My app for today is something called Photo, and that's spelled P-H-H-H-O-T-O, and it basically, when you take a picture, it takes multiple pictures and turns it into a short video or something like a GIF. And once it creates this sort of moving picture image, you can then upload it to Instagram or to another social media or just save it as a GIF moving picture object. And they also have filters in black and white and you can follow people within the photo community. And it's actually pretty cool. And I had forgotten that I had it on my phone until I was out at uh, Mission Chinese last week and one of the bartender's has a cart that he careens through the dining room and stands by her table and shakes drinks and serves them in these amazing little panda bear shot glasses. <laughs> so I did a photo of that to post to the TechBytes Instagram feed, which is at TechBytesHRN. And I thought, hey, this is pretty fun. People probably want to use it. And it's free and it's available for iPhone. And the Android version is coming out momentarily. So that's my app. Uh, Jack, do you have an app for us this week?
0: I do. Um, it's called Repost and it's pretty simple. It reposts things on Instagram. I've been, you know, just like screen capping anything I wanted to repost and they they it's, you know, they make it easy cuz they advertise on your repost. So when you see somebody use it, it's like, you know, reposted by Repost. So I was like, why don't I try this?
1: That's how I found it, too. Yeah, right? (laughs) (laughs) You can repost my photo post from last week. Exactly, right? (laughs) And then we can have Meta on the Instagram. (laughs) Amanda, what's your favorite app right now? Well, um, I have been playing around with Periscope,
2: but that's probably not new to everyone now. You would
1: be surprised. You should tell people about it because even things that have been out for a while, if they don't come into your user stream, sometimes you don't discover them.
2: Right. Well, OK, so I have two then. I'll quickly tell you about Periscope, which is um, it was launched by Twitter and it's essentially like a live video feed. And so you turn it on like I could I could Periscope us on radio right now. Um, and and then you it either disappears or you can have it set to save for one day. And as you're streaming, it's really great for conversation because people can ask you questions while you're streaming. Um, They can like things, and they can do like not just a single heart but like a flutter of hearts, which is kind of fun. Um, I don't know how long it's going to last, but a lot of people are playing around with it. The other one that I really like um, that's food-related is Simmer. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's... um, um, it's built by Pana, which is um, also an app. And they essentially created this really um, clever way of allowing people, like structuring video recipes for people. Because, you know, for somebody to create a, a, a recipe video, it's it takes a lot of time and editing. And essentially, um, they broken it out into like little nuggets so you you have 30 seconds to do each step so so
1: so it's almost storyboarded for you yes where it breaks the recipe down into steps and then storyboards each video segment for you yeah so
2: you shoot your 30 seconds and then you can add you know what the instruction you know you can type in the instruction um you can also there's a place for ingredients um and then it just pieces together all these little 30 minute segments into um into a video of your recipe and you can, you can like follow them sequentially or you can go back and forth. And I just think it's really well done and it makes it a lot more
1: accessible to many, many more people. So the idea is that people create their own recipe videos Mm -hmm. and then, Become the next TV star, Perhaps. become the next uh, YouTube <laughs> sensation or yeah. just have something to send to friends. And yeah.
2: And it's actually it's um, the, all, it's very much like Instagram where it's just like a stream of these recipe videos and you can follow people or you can follow companies and um, and you can like people's uh, videos and comment on them.
1: That's interesting. Yeah. Do, you, do you know just offhand who owns the videos and the video content if it's on the platform, just out of curiosity? I did not check the terms of service. I just used it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's always interesting yeah. to me, that piece of it, who owns it and who doesn't, um, just because a lot of times I think people are using those types of things to build a platform for themselves or to sort of mm-hmm. be self-published. hmm um, and well, like on Food 52, we're community based, mm-hmm. and we have um,
2: joint ownership. So anyone who contributes a recipe owns their owns their
1: recipe as they should, um, and we are free to use it as well. That's the perfect segue into Amanda Hesser created Food 52 in 2009 as mm-hmm. a crowdsourced recipe platform, mm-hmm. and prior to that, you were really. I would say, quite successful as a print journalist and print writer. Mm -hmm. And you worked at the New York Times, and you published a book, and you were very, I would say, traditional media and print media. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious as to what made you go into the digital space when you made your transition into... Well... (sighs) That's a kind
2: of a complicated question, but I'll try to give you a, a simple <laughs> answer. But, you know, I had been at the New York Times for 11 years. Um, obviously, I had, a, I had a great job. Uh, it's a great company to work for. But I, also, I had also done, like, kind of everything I thought that I, you know, that was interesting to do in food there. And I felt like, you know, just in terms of, like, my life and my career, like, I had other things that I wanted to try out. But I actually left the Times not to do a food um, site, but to do uh, another um, tech startup that had actually nothing to do with food, but it was, it was, it was really about kind of tracking your life online because I felt like increasingly, uh, you know, we were all living, you know, more online and, um and that, you know, there were kind of interesting kind of problems to solve um, along with that. And so um, I did this other startup for a year and did some, it was, did some interesting work, but it wasn't like. You know, kind of discovered that it wasn't really a company. There wasn't a company to build behind it. So, um, and my friend Meryl and I had been working on a project, and sort of, you know, we were both immersed professionally in food, and but also, like we, we love, um, we love food um, in our personal lives as well. We, you know, we're really passionate cooks, and um, you know, when we travel, we're always like seeking out new foods, and you know, we, you could just see, and you know, that. You know, we are not alone. This is a a growing interest culturally. Um, But when we went online, we were really struck by kind of how uninspiring um, it was online. You know, there was this really um, kind of rabid food movement happening offline. And then online, it felt very dated. um, And it felt like nobody was really kind of trying to bring all the different elements of your food life together um, into one place and making it, you know beautiful inspiring smart you know community based um, and um, and so we decided to tackle that. We started small, we started focusing um, on recipes. what we did was we basically knew that <laughs> like you can't you unless you raise a ton of money you can 't really like try to do all of those things at once right
1: and th- this was a little bit prior to the current environment where everybody's looking to fund startup projects and everybody's looking to fund new tech product projects. And culturally, there's almost a shift in the business sector is looking for and very open to funding projects that are great ideas, whether they're going to make money or not initially. Well, yeah, you know. I- Which I don't think was the case really in 2009. I think yeah. in 2009 it was very much still... I mean, it was
2: following 2008. Right. I
1: mean, people yeah, were still
2: shocked. Right. Um, you know, but, well, there's that, but I also think like, you know, the way we think about it is that there's two kinds of startup founders. Um, there are the ones, um, the sort of magical few who can, <laughs> you know, sell an idea that's, you know, on a napkin and, um, and they can raise tons of money and really sell a dream. And, there's nothing wrong with that. I think that if you have that skill and you really believe that you can then take that money and do something worth worthwhile with it, um, that's a great approach. Um, most startup founders though, like, you know, are, are better at kind of showing that they can, um, showing what they can do. And so that, that's the kind of founders we are. I think that like, we want to know that what we're doing is going to work, um, before we ask people to put money into it. So we did a proof of concept, um, which was a very small part of our kind of larger idea. And it was really focused on recipes. And the idea was, uh, can we create the... I mean, the way we we talked about it then was, can we create the first crowdsourced curated cookbook in 52 weeks, which is where the name Food 52 comes from. Um, And the reason we did that was we felt like it was a great way to test our content model of, can you can you do community-based, user-generated content? Or people and, that are interested. Well, will they actually do it? Will well, they? We've kind, we felt very strongly that they would. That we felt pretty certain about. What we weren't sure about was, can we do it in such a way that will produce um, a top layer of really high-quality content that is at the level of the, the best traditional media brands? Okay, because we felt like that was what was like if you looked online there was tons of user generated content but it was like a mosh pit you know you mm-hmm. there was no curation still there is. was no way yeah there's sti- it's still, still a mosh is. pit yeah. it's just a bigger pit <laughs> yeah um, and I think that um, you know what we were had sort of what we, what we kind of tapped into that I think you're seeing increasingly today is curation, is that there's masses and masses of information, and there's lots of great, great information in there, but how are you going to find it? And, and using technology, um, and in our, in our case, we feel like what we do is a combination of e- technology and editorial um, curation to... Help people, um, guide people to that great content, and and to you know kind of have a point of view and um, and make them feel that they are at a real a place where real people um, work and think and um, and are you know they are with
1: them. Do you think that having structured Food 52 around specific recipes and giving people while the freedom to create whatever they wanted, the freedom to you know like and dislike things, you were still giving them a very specific framework in terms of Here's our process. Here's the time frame. Here's a recipe or a category that we're interested in pursuing. So it was less of a free for all yes, and more exactly. of a concerted effort. <laughs> Thank
2: you. <laughs> well, yeah. So this is, uh, I think that another, um, you know, really key thing that we did was we didn't say what we did is we started with recipe contests, and because we felt like that's a, that's a, a an idea that people instantly understand. Of course, everybody loves American, to win. Americans everybody love contests. Everybody loves to win. <laughs> totally. They don't love contests. They love to win well, and that be is, number one. That is true. Um, <laughs> and so we had these recipe contests, but instead of saying like, you know, send us your best recipe, we, our contests were like your best beef stew or your best, um, you know, citrus salad or, you know, very, we were very specific and we tested kind of like how specific we could get. Um, and the idea uh, behind that was that we didn't want people to just be like cutting and pasting recipes from wherever, you know, from, you know, their like family archive, but that they, they were actually, um, something very special, um, or that they were creating actually for the contest. Um... And, therefore, it was, it was our first layer of curation was, like, I mean, people think of curation as, like, you take this mass of stuff and then you distill it. Better curation, in our view, is you distill in the beginning by kind of limiting the participation. Right. Well, it's and sort then, of... And then you, and then you distill right. again. You, you're kind of constantly refining. Even the way our, our content works is we have these, you know, people enter their recipes through the first layer of distillation. Then we do this, all this sort of testing behind the scenes, and we name finalists and community picks, and we photograph the top... Um, you know 10 to 20 percent of them and um, and then once those recipes are like are are celebrated on the site then they continue to get curated by the audience based on how they're used so like if a recipe is saved a lot or commented on a lot or favorited a lot it it, um, increases its ranking in our recipe search so the idea is that anyone who's contributing in any small or large way on our site is is making the site
1: better. So you're giving the public a a lot of power, which is great. And I think also a key part of the Internet and things that are digital. Um, And another key part of this Internet and digital is our sponsors. And we're going to take a break now and hear from our sponsors and hear some new music from Jack.
0: And this one's called Meeting at the Docks by Rectech. You're listening to Tech on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. program was brought to you by VisitNapaValley.com. Welcome to the Napa Valley, North America's legendary wine and food capital, where the art of living well is defined, and each season holds a story waiting to be discovered. Life feels slower here, lived at a place where tables are set with care, fine wine and food are created from the bounty of our own vineyards and gardens, and relationships with friends and family gathered around the table are somehow sweeter. When planning a trip to the Napa Valley, we invite you to visit the destination's official visitor website, visitnapavalley.com, or stop by Napa County's Official Visitor Information Center, located in downtown Napa, where our friendly and knowledgeable community ambassadors can assist you in creating your own legendary Napa Valley experiences. The Visitor Information Center is located at 600 Main Street, Napa, and is open from 9am to 5pm, seven days a week. 360 days a year. Your invitation to experience the Napa Valley beckons. Take a deep breath, lose yourself in our quiet green and golden hills, renew your body and spirit, taste our legendary wines and cuisine, and experience the people who make this valley like no other in the world. For more information, go to visitnapavalley.com.
1: If you've just tuned in and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is TechBytes on the HeritageRadioNetwork.org, broadcasting live from two shipping containers in Roberta's Pizza in Brooklyn. TechBytes looks at the influence of technology on our culinary life, and today we're talking with Amanda Hesser, one of the co-founders of Food52, which started off in 2009 as a platform to crowdsource recipes and to create a crowdsourced cookbook. And since then, it has grown to include a cooking app, a hotline for cooking emergencies, and most recently, a catalog called Provisions, which is really um, going to the content plus commerce model, which is something that a lot of media entities have been talking about and, and trying to do. So my question to you, Amanda, is back in 2009, when you were starting the recipe crowdsourcing did you have the battle plan to ramp all the way up to content and commerce or did you learn things along the way and change route or did you know from the beginning that this is where you were headed?
2: We knew from the beginning that's,
1: that's where we were headed, but we didn't know what path we were going to take.
2: You know, as I said earlier, like we wanted to tackle um, a new content model that we felt like was was scalable and also produced really high quality content. So we worked on that really for the first year and a half. Um, and refined it, then we added the hotline. Um, we had us we actually had a shop from the from the day we launched, but in the beginning, we just referred people to um, cool stuff that we liked. We didn't have any kind of um, you know revenue model behind it. We just wanted people to get get used to seeing products and knowing that we weren't here just for recipes um, and cooking questions, but you know for a fuller um, more 360 experience um, it took us a while to get there. I mean. You know, because we we didn't want to... It's not something that you want to kind of take lightly or rush into, uh, especially when, I mean, commerce is a t- completely different model from uh, the media side of our business. And um, so we tested, or um, the second stage was we tested using a third-party platform. Um, and then we um, raised a round of funding and built our, our own platform and launched it in, in at the end of 2013. And it's been incredibly successful. And I think that's something that we were betting on, which is that, like you know, people really want a place that that they can trust for everything in their food life. Um, And that also, you know, there are tons of amazing small producers who are trying to reach this audience and it's not easy for them to do it on their own. Um, And so we provide a way for that. And that we've also been doing, um, you know, about 40% of our products are now exclusive to us. We design a lot of things um, with the makers we work with.
1: That's really interesting. And, uh, and, uh, question that a lot of media and other online entities have been trying to solve but maybe not as successfully well
2: i think if you look at it as another revenue source then you're like you're looking towards a dead end um you know we never saw it that way we saw it as something that we wanted as cooks like that as consumer consumers ourselves would want this um and you know the the way we think of like if you look at uh, sort of the content side of our business we're really like a platform for you know, great, curious, talented home cooks to you know reach a larger audience and share with others, and we're the same thing for small makers on the shop side of our business. Um, so we think of our what we do
1: is we really kind
2: of connect these two groups.
1: One of the things that I've noticed recently is that you have moved from um, being a part of the community of food people and tech people to being advisors of the community of food people and tech people, which is another, I'm sure, interesting element to itself. I noticed that you were one of the advisors to a little startup called Food Stand, Mm -hmm. which I'm not quite sure what they do. (laughs) (laughs) It's a little bit like Instagram for food. Um, but i'd be curious to know what kind of things what kind of advice they're looking for and what how you counsel them in terms yeah. of so like growing. we're also
2: we're also counseling a coffee um, company now, and you know some of the times it's branding, other times it's you know how to handle social media. I think that um, you know uh, the startup world is very collaborative and and the sort of exchange of information is very um open <laughs> much more so than uh probably other professions and so um you know a lot of people helped us when we were getting started um we joined a lot of um kind of networking groups and we have advisors ourselves in fact one of our advisors um recently joined the company as our COO um and uh you know i think that it's for us it's like a chance to give back and also to learn about like what interesting stuff is going on in um in other people's companies
1: is there a real piece of learning advice that you've passed along that was a moment from your own development that you think is really valuable to share um sometimes when you start something and you're new at it you don't know what to ask for because it's a completely unknown experience so it's hard to know (laughs) it's hard to know where you need the most help because you you know you kind of have no idea anyway (laughs) well um well, the funniest kind of piece of advice, which
2: it is true. It's like if you want money, ask for advice, and if you want um, advice, ask for money. Um,
1: <laughs> I'm going to try that later when I leave this afternoon.
2: <laughs> um, um, that, that one definitely is true. Um, I just think that um, the, the, the biggest thing that um, – probably the biggest hurdle is just that you get a lot of no's all the time, and there's a lot of doubt um, when you're starting something. Um, even if it's something that's kind of familiar to people, um, you' got to just kind of like you, you got to you have to just keep at it and keep pushing um, and um in every kind of like no or um or or missed opportunity like see it as actually as an opportunity to learn or to do something better next time um so you know it's like kind of easier said than done, but it definitely is um,
1: a way to survive What do you see happening next? in the digital commerce content space?
2: Well, it's interesting. I'm feeling like there's a little bit of stagnation at the moment. There's, there's, there's incredible, um, quality content, um, quality content coming out. I feel like a lot of the traditional media brands, um, have really like stepped up their game and finally decided to embrace digital and that's great. And so they're doing really good stuff. Um, and I think some of the, some of the um, companies that have been online for a while, you know, that are digital native companies, um, have also kind of stepped up. I feel like there's a lot of competition in food media right now. And I think it's really healthy and good because... It's going to make it better for everyone but it's also like a full finally like kind of full embrace embracing of digital um as the sort of primary source of your um, food information and food media i do think like technically though it's there's a little bit of stagnation um Like, I just, there haven't been, like, I mentioned Simmer. I do think that that was a good technical innovation. It wasn't so, like, crazy technically. It was more like kind of using technology in an organized fashion to kind of structure things for people. Um, But outside of of that, like, you know, Yumly, um, the platform that they have built, is very technically sound. But there hasn't been anybody doing anything, like, super amazing with recipes um, or cooking or, you know, sort of just plain on media lately in my view
1: most of the food tech companies and apps that people are really interested in right now center around food delivery delivery yes, of totally. all kind mm-hmm. is really a very very hot property right now but that doesn't I have anything to do with content i don't
2: know how much tech though there is there it's a lot more like logistics and yes. operations yeah. and and there's there's great work being done i agree with you i think that's the most probably exciting part of food right now is is district the distribution of food But not on the content side. Not so much. I mean, it's getting more beautiful and um, more magazine-like, and um, it's a better experience for readers. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I think that's a great thing. But technology isn't transforming the way we consume it or the way it's presented.
1: Are you having any plans at food 52 to come up with something to transform we, <laughs> the way we consume it <laughs> perhaps we have some things in the works What's, you have anything sh- that you could share with us well i would say the feature? thing and this is
2: not a, this is not a tech i mean it's a a we're built you know we're building it in-house but the thing that we're very excited about is actually a gift registry because it's something that's a very kind of obvious thing um given the kinds of goods that we sell and that people ask for every day
1: for all kinds of registry, but yeah. probably primarily wedding. Well, I think yeah, weddings will probably a key, be a key thing, but I think any kind of gift re- registry. You could expand your helpline to be a wedding helpline. I'm sure that would be do very, very well <laughs> if you had a wedding emergency talk helpline app. <laughs> I like that. It's probably more stressful than Thanksgiving. The only, <laughs> the only family event that's more stressful than Thanksgiving is probably the wedding. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I think the whole thing about the content in the digital space right now is that you're absolutely right. There is a lot of it and it looks beautiful. I feel like it's a lot the same though. Well, there's the buzz feedification. Exactly. (laughs) The Instagram
2: feeds, the Twitter feeds, the the articles. The the nine ways to make blah, 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 the, you know, eight amazing, you know, variations on your pizza. Um, You know, it's kind of how. Listicles. The listicles. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like a,
1: rampant disease the listicles along with the fact that the real-time aspect of social media and digital allows people to have instant knowledge of what's happening and articles and trends and reviews and all those kinds of things that often I think you see the same idea concept recipe piece of news just repeated over and over and over again in different ways in different streams in different cycles but there's a lot of sameness as Mm -hmm. well Agreed. I mean, this is something we think a lot about
2: and are trying to kind of fight against. How do you fight against it? Um, you resist the easy, easy win. The easy win is to do a dualistical or, you know, something that has uh, a lot of hyperbole in, in it. And, um, you know, we, we, we just kind of work hard not to have that dominate um, everything we do.
1: That would be a funny April Fool's Day food fifty two though. Your best, you know, listicle <laughs> instead of I'm a recipe s- and see what you That is a get. very good idea. We've got something else in the works. Something for- parody or funny, you know, <laughs> listicles for I don't know what to do with your leftover chia seeds or something like that, or you know, twelve things to do with kale for breakfast. That would get a lot of hits actually. <laughs> <laughs> It really would. So, when you are spending your time online, where do you go? What What's your favorite? When what are am online, favorite spots, yeah. Um, and they don't necessarily need to be food related. Um, where do you go for your information and inspiration? And well, I really like Slate. I mean,
2: as like a, because I, I I like that it's like a mix of news and commentary, um, and they have so many like smart writers. Um, medium. But I feel like I'm kind of like a wanderer on medium. I just, you know, I kind of read whatever um, bubbles like, up. To yeah, the bubbles top. up, or has been, you know, friends have like, yeah, recommended to me. Um, I think that's
1: exactly how you're supposed to use it, actually. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, let things bubble up to the top and follow you know, follow the breadcrumbs that your likes and your people leave for you.
2: Yeah, there's no guilt with medium. It's not like, oh, I kind of skipped that section. You know, you don't feel that way. You sort of feel like, oh, I was just kind of surprised and delighted by this article that I wasn't expecting to see today. Um, and that's
1: kind of a beautiful thing. The thing, one of the characteristics of medium that I really like is the way they tell you how long it's going to take to read it. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the only places... That stresses places me out, because I'm always like... I'm sort of a slow reader, so I think... I oh, like no, that, What if I don't finish it in It time? gives me a good sense of what my time commitment is. And well, can I true. read it on the train ride? Can I read it... You yeah. know, right now, I'm having coffee. And recipes are really one of the only other places that tell you what the time commitment's going to be. We don't do that. M- you don't do that? We, yeah, we actually philosophically are opposed to that. Philosophically opposed to that? Why?
2: Well, because we feel like... Um, Everyone cooks at different paces, and also th- there is a inherently a um, suggestion that if a recipe takes a long time, it's, like, not a good recipe or it's a tedious recipe. There are just recipes, and also people, th- the, way they, the way companies um, kind of count the time, they, they cheat it so that, like a stew, they'll just do the, like, prep time because they don't want to tell you it's three hours. Or three days
1: right. if you're making a French exactly. bourguignon.
2: Yeah, or the, you know, even if you cook it in one day, you're not really supposed to eat it until the next day. They should say two days. But nobody's, no one, no company is going to write two days because they know you'll never click on that recipe. Um, so we feel like um, it, it, it um, kind of keeps this whole quick and easy uh, bandwagon going and um, it's not that we're opposed to recipes that are quick and easy I, we certainly gravitate towards them you know too but we, it, they tend to be because we're interested in the food itself not beca- just because it's quick and easy we think that that whole that kind of like marketing sham needs to be kind of done away with um, and so uh, we refuse to put times on our recipes and as a result we don't get ranked as highly in Google yeah, so it's a, you know, it's a business decision um, that... that
1: has actual ramifications.
2: Yeah, I wrote about it a couple of years ago. And, I mean, Google's been trying to deal with this because, you know, it's hard for them to to rank recipes. Um, you know, people put, companies put, um, like, a star system. But it's such an arbitrary way of, of judging recipes, right? But it's, they, they just have been grasping for ways to kind of... Um, figure out how to reward better recipes and the way they have kind of gone about it, which you can kind of understand from a tech company like Google is the more data structured data that the recipes have, um, uh, the more that they can kind of glean from it and, and then rank it. And so what has happened is that the companies like all recipes and the, the sort of bigger kind of more well-funded companies are able to put the tech work into, 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 adding all this extra, um, data into their recipes so that they can get ranked well on Google. But somebody who's like a blogger doesn't have that ability. So it, it just, it has created this very huge imbalance in,
1: uh, in recipe search rankings. The next uh, food conference should have a class in SEO optimization yes. <laughs> for the bloggers. <laughs> no, they should.
2: I mean, it's something, and we, we have a consultant, you know, with something that we, you know, spend time on. It's not something we're going to spend a huge amount of time on, um, because we're not going to win, like, you know, what we
1: call the chicken game. Right. It's all about the chicken.
2: Yeah. 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 Um, we might win the quail game or the kale game, but not chicken.
1: <laughs> and most people are looking for chicken. True. True. But maybe not your people.
2: Hmm. No. Well, our, our top three search terms, <laughs>
1: you'll be amused,
2: are, um, are kale, quinoa, and salmon. So that's great. But no chicken. No chicken. and and chicken's up there. Chicken's in the top five. Okay. But, um, but it's not number one, which is interesting.
1: Well, that's good. That should be inspirational and reassuring to you. Yeah. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so last question, and then we have to go. What would your quick advice be to somebody who is looking to start their own food content website, culinary content website? Is it a blog? Is that what you do now? Do you Tumblr, start something on Instagram? Oh,
2: Are you there, mean if they, they want
1: to actually start yeah, like a site or a blog? Yeah, they want to start a site or an online presence, and I'll let you say what. The like best a company
2: threat. or like their. Yeah. Own? Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I feel like you, you kind of need to just jump in, um, and if you're not really sure what you want to do yet, I think like using Squarespace and like establishing a blog um, is a is a great way to start. You know, there are like existing technologies that can save you a lot of time and money um, while you're testing. Um, yeah, I think that dif- – and differentiation. I mean, if, you're, if it's just about the content, you really have to ask yourself, like, why does the world need my content rather than what, is already, what already exists? And if you can answer that question, then you should go for it.
1: Fantastic. And then can they call you to be an advisor? <laughs> sure. <laughs> as long as I get cookies. <laughs> there you have it. As long as she gets cookies, Amanda Hesser is potentially available to be your advisor. Well, I want to thank Amanda for coming out to Roberta's in Brooklyn to be a guest on Tech Bytes. I want to thank all of our listeners. If you liked it, come back on Monday again at 1 o'clock or go to iTunes and Stitcher Radio, get the podcast, and take it with you. Thanks. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.